It's March 2nd, 2023. This is Rook. Hi there, welcome to episode 243 of Rook. Poison attacks on schoolgirls. Hey UNICEF in the West, anything? I'm Gian Gomeshi. Alori from Toronto, salam dustan aziz. Durud Deadly poison attacks on children and university students. Hey UNICEF in the West, anything at all? Maybe the saddest part is that for Iranians, this is not really a shock. It's the kind of reality we get used to around the clock. So, as many of you likely know, news has emerged that the murderous regime in Iran is now responsible for deliberately poisoning schoolgirls across the country. The numbers at the time of this essay, over 1,000 students in over 50 schools, at least one dead, many hospitalized, an entire population traumatized. Hey, UNICEF and Western leaders, anything at all? To be fair, it's not entirely new. These kinds of chemical attacks on the Iranian people at the hands of this dictatorship have happened in the past. And even in this case, hundreds have fallen ill since November, yet the government refused to admit the attacks were intentional until this week. Now they're not even denying it. Why practice any equivocation when your goal is to terrify an entire population? But as a young woman in Mashhad tells me in our latest episode today, nothing surprises us with these mullahs. Imagine for a moment how dark, twisted, and deadly things have become in Iran that the deliberate poisoning of children is not a shock. And yet, where is UNICEF? Where is the West? Where is the UN beyond virtue signaling talk? Well, let's see. UNICEF issued some kind of statement saying they are following the news about the attacks. Gee, that sounds like dramatic action. Thanks, team. And the UN, well, they've been reprimanding this regime by allowing the buffoonish foreign minister to give a speech at the Human Rights Council this week. And you know what? The representatives from all those countries that attended didn't end up walking out on him. Quite the opposite. Many applauded. If the deliberate poisoning of hundreds of children is not enough to seep into your conscience, if it's not enough to prevent you from wanting to do a deal with the perpetrators creating the ill, pretty much nothing will. And the mainstream Western media don't look their way. That same prevaricating Islamic Republic foreign minister was given a platform on CNN to peddle his bullshit. Poison attacks on schoolgirls. Hey, UNICEF in the West, anything? Perhaps this is a moment to remind ourselves that the European Union and Canada are still evading the idea of putting the IRGC on the terrorist list. Embassies have not been closed. Ambassadors have not been called home. In many ways, Iranians are alone. Better we know it than continue to hope that the West will do a thing. Better we know it and remember that despite lip service, self-interest will always be king. But the revolution will come, and we will expose the morally broke. And UNICEF and the UN, assuming you continue your inaction, you will forever be a joke. Coming up on this episode of Rook, part eight of our Voices from Inside Iran series, including guests joining us from Mashhad, Tehran, and Tabriz, plus a special extended Rook roundtable. This is Rook, episode 243, Poison Attacks. Hey, UNICEF in the West, anything?
Here we are in our Toronto studio on a Thursday. Uh, We've got coming up on this episode, Voices from Inside Iran. This is a series that I I really, I think is one of my favorite things that we've done. This is where we, we hear from people on the front lines, usually young voices from different parts of Iran, inside Iran right now, giving us their first person accounts of, of what the vibe is there, what's happening, what's happening with the revolution, what's happening with their their lives, families, the regime, etc. And we're going to hear from, we've got people lined up in, um, on the front lines in Mashhad, in Tehran, in Tabriz today. So we're going to get to all of that. Uh, and I look forward to speaking um, to these. Actually, we've done one of these uh, already. We pre-taped one with somebody in Mashhad um, that I was referencing in that opening essay. So uh, that's coming up. Voices from Inside Iran. This is part eight of that series. In the meantime, gathered around me here, Pega, hello. Hello. Uh, hello, KNZ, behind the recording console. Hello. Our engineer, and hello, Daria. Hello. Back for uh, with us for a roundtable today. You know, I wanted to start with something uplifting besides my uh, opening essay about poisoned children mm-hmm. and uh, lack of action. Uh, the most uplifting thing I can say is what a shitty week this has been. <laughs> I was really hopeful. Uh, no, I really have uplifting. nothing. I've got nothing. I mean, from <sighs> the, from the perspective, I look. I mean, we can point at, you know, here was a good speech given by an yeah. opposition leader or something. But the truth is, it's been a really, really crap week i think mm-hmm. for for iranians um it, you know taking into consideration i mean the week started with the appearance of this you know uh, buffoonish uh, islamic republic foreign minister at the un mm-hmm. human rights council giving being given a an audience there where people didn't walk out stayed there as i mentioned in the essay and some of them applauded to for him then um little piruz died mm-hmm. and on monday remember during the show yeah. we knew he was going into i said uh, hopefully he's we going to be so okay yeah. and then a few hours later in fact as soon as our podcast came out uh, we heard Peters had died, right. which you know was horrible news. It's it's funny how one of these things that you know, uh, I mean, it is an indication of another disgusting, horrible indication of life under this regime, et cetera, in Iran. But it's the death of an animal, and yet it feels like this huge symbolic, mm-hmm. you know, blow to mm-hmm. everything: our, our the revolution, the people of Iran, et cetera, because he represented so much hope. Then, of course the ongoing and worsening news of these, the poisoning of these uh, children, these schoolgirls, right. which is just astonishingly horrific, which again, I, I mentioned in the essay just now, but I know we're gonna, is gonna be the, the point of our, our, one of the main points in our round table. Mm-hmm. But then I also wanted to mention, you know, did you guys see this interview with, again, he's getting a lot of airtime here, but Hossein Amir Abdullahian, this yes. is the Islamic Republic, Foreign Minister, mm-hmm. Stooge, mm-hmm. you know, Puppet, Pinocchio, whatever you want to call him. Uh, he did this interview with Christian Amanpour. Yes. Yeah. Now, uh, I have, a, I have, a, I have an, an opinion about this that I want to share. And I, let me issue a couple of disclaimers first. First of all, Christian Amanpour has done really important work over the years. I think she's, uh, you know, there's a track record of some really, really impressive interviews and I have no question she's a hardworking journalist and uh, don't know her. Some things she done I don't agree with, but that's the way it is with everybody and and overall good for her, right? Mm -hmm. Great and and a strong, powerful presence in media. Um, I don't understand the point of interviewing 
this person at this moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, more specifically, giving a platform to somebody uh, on uh, giving a huge platform, the CNN platform. Now, I know the argument would be Christian Evanpour is a world-renowned journalist, so she will bring this person on and ask him tough questions, and he will be exposed mm-hmm. as you know an idiot, um, which is somewhat of what happened. But I still don't understand the exercise. Um, and I'm actually quite surprised that no one seemingly in our diaspora is reacting to this and going, why did you give this guy a platform? CNN. I mean, I get why it's good for Christiana Mampour and CNN. Ratings, attention. Mm-hmm. She gets to be tough and ask questions and all of that. But honestly, at this stage, does this person really have anything? Is there anything at all that he's going to say that, that is unexpected or new or will represent anything other than 44 years of this regime's mm-hmm. bullshit, which he was already peddling this week? There's no, there's no point. He's just done this speech and answered questions and said idiotic things like not one person has been killed. He said all those things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So now you're going to give him a platform. And my, my concern about it is not for the Iranian audience because – in a way, it actually kind of serves the Iranian audience. Christian asks a tough question, and you know, but you, you, there's evidence that they are killed, and then he looks like an idiot, and everybody shares video of it and goes, "Oh, what a what a buffoon this guy is." But Iranians are not the only audience for CNN. Exactly. CNN International. It's a massive. So you agree with me? I'm I'm waiting for you to finish because okay. I am so angry about. Oh, this because, because so so so. In other words, there's a big international audience who are watching this that don't have the background, never heard of this guy, Mm -hmm. you know. They heard, oh, Iran's a bad place or, you know, there's some, there's a dictatorship or something. But watch this and go, well, you know, he seems kind of Mm soft-spoken, you know, why is she badgering him so much? I mean, they don't even go, okay, there's two sides. You know, there's there's the side that she's presenting, which people have been killed. He's saying nobody's been killed. Maybe it's somewhere in the middle. It's nowhere near in the middle. It's nowhere near in the middle. This is a person, every single thing he said was a lie. So you were actively bringing someone on that you know is going to lie about everything on a major platform, and it's not... It's not a new government. They didn't just, Islamic Republic's not in the first year where you go, okay, let's do some interviews and mm-hmm. really learn about who these people are. It's the opposite of that. Yeah. So it was really kind of, you know, I've been going back and forth and I know that there's, a, I even texted a couple of journalists. I was like, what, what is it? You know, you know and they mm-hmm. said, well, you know, she'll ask him, some, it'll expose him, no, but it's I'm not going to expose not- him because he's not, he's not, Will Smith, you know, he's not like this known figure that everybody's already debated about. Again, for the Iranian community, but you know, if you're just sitting out there, you're watching your nightly show with Christiane Amanpour and she asks these, and you kind of go, okay, well, you know, I guess this is the official guy, look, and he's all uh, dressed up for the interview, and you just, I'm not convinced that that platform should have been given to this person at this time, even like I said this before at one of our shows, you know, a couple of years ago when I was in interviewing uh, Homer Sashar for Rook, mm-hmm. and I said, would you interview Zarif? It was like two or three years ago. I guess he maybe he was still foreign minister. I don't know. And she said, yeah, I would. You know, I'd like to, I think it's important to interview yeah. him, hold these people to the to account. And, okay, you know. But we're that's, so past We're that. in the middle of a, you know, right yeah. now, schoolgirls are being poisoned mm-hmm. to bring, the, and this, you know, anyway. So that's my, I was going to ask you if you had this, a similar take oh, on I'm this. Oh, I'm ready. But, I, I'm like amped up to, to right. tell you everything right. I think about this. Um, first of all, 
we just came off of this walk out on the Islamic Republic campaign. Right. Given his mm-hmm. speech at the UNHCR. Do not, do not sit inside we there while this same guy does a speech at the UN. We literally asked as many foreign ministers, delegates, NGO representatives, mm. journalists, anyone who was going to be in the room. We begged them for weeks, mm. walk out when this guy starts talking. We put ourselves, and I say we as Iranians in the diaspora, you know, we put this big campaign out there. We put all this effort behind it. And then only to turn around and have one of the biggest Iranian-American journalists sit down with this individual and give him a platform on one of the biggest news channels mm-hmm. in the world? Are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. That's that's what is happening mm-hmm. in the same week? That's the first thing. The second thing is, again, like you said, as Iranians, we all knew what to, what to expect in terms of the answers, the double talk. The there was nothing in there that wasn't expected. It was good fodder. It's mm-hmm. good fodder for Twitter. Oh, look what this you know this idiot said for a, again for the Iranian bubble. Yeah, but but yeah. what I'm worried about is the non-Iranians right. because for anyone who's not as involved and so deeply into what is happening every second over the course of the last six months and is not Iranian and doesn't have Iranian friends, mm-hmm. let's say, they would look at this and say, "Well, he's not that bad," mm-hmm. you know, and they don't Maybe. know. Maybe I mean, they might. Yeah. I honestly, I think the way he was. You ever seen a? You you seen somebody from another country, like some some leader from a I don't know Asian country talking, mm-hmm. and you go, okay, well that's their leader, and then somebody from that country goes, do you not know this guy? Exactly. You know, yeah. and you, oh, okay, that's a dictator. That's I didn't right. know. Yeah. And, and I think we've talked about this before on the show, where we've said, you know, things have changed so much in the last little while for Iranians. Um, we're no longer receptive to reform the way that maybe we were, mm. I don't know, five years ago, six years ago, mm. whatever it was, or we didn't, we don't, we no longer have the tolerance for so much. Mm. Whereas maybe five, six years ago, like you said, someone like Homeless mm. Ashar would say, yeah, you know what, I'll have the conversation. Maybe there's and room I get for it. dialogue I, yeah, and things like absolutely. that. We don't have don't, that anymore. Yeah, I'm not suggesting we should only interview people we agree with, ever. No, absolutely I'm not, not ever suggesting that. And if Christiana Mampour would come on the show, I would love it. Mm-hmm. I would love to hear her reasoning. I'm sure That's she right. she has a reason sure. why she thinks this is a good idea. And, and I, I would love if Christiana Mampour is listening, come on and talk to us and tell mm-hmm. us why you think it's a good idea or what we learned from this. Yeah. I, but here's but the thing. I'm listen to fan. you though. I was trying to be nuanced no, no, no. about I'm, it. I'm not, I'm, all like, right, I'm, all right. I'm all there. And I still have more. I like her. I'm a fan of hers. Okay. But she did not do a good job in that interview. No? I'm sorry. She did not. Okay. The only time that she pushed back was about the drones in Ukraine where she pulled out the photos and was really giving them a hard time. No. I no, mean, she pushed th- back on people not d- mm, dying and people not being... Not really. In- not enough. I mean, not once did she actually look at him and say, you're, you're full of shit. Excuse my language, but you're lying. I mean, we have facts. We have evidence. There's dead bodies piling up in that country. See, again, and you're going to tell the, me no? That's the thing. As an interviewer, if you're going to bring somebody on that you know is peddling, only mm-hmm. peddling shit, what is the point? Because unless you're just going to sit there and say, that's bullshit, that's bullshit, that's bullshit, in which case you're doing it for the exercise to get clicks or something like that. And let's imagine that this was for a higher standard somehow. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But, you know, that what is the point then? Yeah. Surely that, surely that, I mean, it, in other words, it's like, well, let's learn what he has to say. Yeah, but she, What's the justification for what mm-hmm. they're, what justification? Well, <laughs> we're, we're like, you know, we're past that. Sorry. Go ahead, Daria. We no, have no, to bring was, you in here. I was just going to say there is no justification. And that's the thing, as you said, like for non-Iranians, when they listen to this, they think, oh, okay, maybe he's right 80% of it, lying 20% of it. No, like it's 0%. Right, like, right, yeah, right. like all of it is lie. And then. 
there was nothing out of it. And then we were listening right before, right now to it. And uh, Kenzie got angry and she just left. She was like, I can't listen to this. And I, right? I don't blame yeah. her. Like, yeah. yeah. Honestly, listening to five minutes of it was enough to like understand that this guy is just going to keep lying and just not tell the truth and pretend like everything is yeah. totally fine. And the thing is, is that it's not like he hasn't been available you know, it's not like we don't know what his position is, mm-hmm. right? It's like he's coming out of the reclusive foreign minister that no one has spoken to is doing an interview. I mean, he's, he's been around, he's been yeah. on tour all week. He's exactly. been at the UN, he's been issuing statements. He was in the hallway, Iran International was running after him. He's, nobody's been killed. I mean, we already know all that stuff, right? But you know what I was saying about her not pushing back enough? So, for example, he mentioned how um, Iranians are, you know, in support of the MEK or Iranians in the diaspora are in support of the MEK. And why is there a double standard with the leader of the MEK having a hijab, but then Christian Amanpour is giving him, you know, a hard time with the hijab regulations right, right, and laws right, and whatnot in Iran. Right. But this is what I mean. She didn't negate that she didn't come out with facts and say look no that's not the case there's the opposition that the iranian diaspora is that's you know but again this, this is the that. problem with bringing somebody on like that because either you're going to spend the whole time debating mm-hmm. in which case that's not an interview that's just like i'm bringing someone on to debate them which is very fashionable these days mm-hmm. let me bring trump on and yeah. show how tough i am by ambushing him with all these questions but what is the point but what it, is that's the that's the question? I think with an individual like this, though, the traditional interview w- doesn't work, and that's it, why well, I'm that's against the po- this. Yeah, right? exactly. And the other thing is that you know I'm really upset with CNN as a whole, and I'm just angry at the world today. Yeah, so yeah, I'm sorry, yeah. but bad way. Peru's died. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm really upset with CNN because here they are giving airtime to this buffoon, and yet not once have they given prime airtime Thank you. to the opposition Thank you. In, yes. outside of your yes. oh, the. the Opposition, whatever the whatever opposition, the is. opposition yeah, yeah. is, right? Where is this airtime for someone like Masi or Reza Pahlavi or any one of the other members of this quote unquote yeah. coalition? Put Hamid Ismailoun on uh, Christian mm-hmm. Amanpour. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So, yeah, that's my rant. I'm, right. that, that's part of it anyway. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, I didn't know actually you were going to come firing at that. I, yeah. I actually <laughs> thought, because the, the thing that surprised me is I thought I was quite alone in my thinking because I really I haven't seen anybody. I mean, at all. I haven't seen anybody in the Iranian community. Yeah, I have friends sharing this all over Instagram. And I'm like, and here's the moment where she held the iPad up or something. You know, it's like, okay, Mm -hmm. well, anyway, I mean, um, maybe, uh, you know, like I say, maybe there's some reasons that have escaped me why this was an important interview to do. But but it it sort of capped off uh, a very dispiriting few days. and we've talked about how this revolution is, or this uprising, or just the situation in Iran in general, let's put it that way, is not something we can engage in day trading about, you know? Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's a process, it takes a while, it, revolutions take weeks, months, years, you know? And so we can't expect to live and die by each day. One day there's an amazing protest, or there's a, a, something great happening in Brussels or LA, and uh, the, the next day there's, there's some horrible news, and so we, we've gotten used to that. It just felt like a lot of downer news this week. Yeah, and it's a hard week. If we kick off this round table, um, before we get to our voices inside Iran, and I'll put this to them, see what they think. Uh, we have to talk, I mean, I, I, I did it in the opening there, but about these these poison attacks, these chemical attacks mm-hmm. against schoolgirls and children. Um, tell us exactly where we're at with this as of the, 
this recording at least? Yeah, so um, recent conservative estimates have pointed to 1,000 girls who have been affected over 10 cities and 26 different schools. And again, I want to stress that these are conservative estimates because, you know, we're constantly seeing images and videos and reports and conversations are being had with the parents of these of these young girls. So, I mean, that in and of itself is enough to shake me to the core. Well, can, I, can, I, can I, except for the fact that it's not a surprise, as I said, the essay, yeah. that's the saddest part. But, but can I just put a pause for a second there? Mm-hmm. Just press pause and go, you know, there are people who continue to, or sometimes will say, come on, enough of like, uh, I prefer Rook when you guys are doing fun stuff, or <laughs> can you, do you always have, everything has to be about the revolution right now, or can you not do something else, or talk about something fun, or have something lighter? When would a thousand schoolgirls in Iran being poisoned not be the thing we shouldn't be talking about, you know, mm-hmm. that we should <laughs> be talking about? It, it's just, we cannot, I cannot do a, an uppity interview with RF right, right now. You know what I mean? Like this is like, mm-hmm. we this is, it, it, we get so used to this stuff. It It is, it's, it is again, like something out of an evil Marvel comics movie, mm-hmm. right? Let's poison the kids of a country. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sorry. No, that's Unpause. okay. Unpause, <laughs> go ahead, back to you. I was just gonna, I mean, you know, we've, we've talked about this and I think almost any Iranian across the globe right now knows that this is happening. But I want to pinpoint some things. Um, And again, going back to my usual stats situation, but um, there's reports that what's been used in terms of this gas is actually an organophosphate agent. So what that means is that this is a... um, Uh, some sort of toxin that's typically used in agriculture. So think things like incesticides or pesticides, things like that. Now, anyone who's ever had a child or an animal or um, has taken care of any living thing, even a plant, there's chemicals in, in everyday things. So let's say you have a bottle of bleach or something like that lying around. How careful are you to not have it spill on the ground or be in the reach of a child or next to your plants or any? And to think that these individuals are taking these toxins, turning them into chemical, um, I mean, I don't know what word do weapons. I use? Weapons, yeah. warfare, yeah. like what do you want to call it, right? It, it, it's a war on these children. It's terrorism on your own people. It's every unimaginable thing that you can think about. And you're using it on these young girls, 13, 14, and there's thousands of them now. I mean, it's just, it's unbelievable. And like you said, there's part of me that is almost like, well... That's the Islamic Republic. Mm. But then another part of me that I'm like, how could you be this barbaric? And by the way, like we said on Monday, this is, it's not, you know, the jury's not out on where this, how this is happening. Mm-hmm. I mean, we might not know exactly who's pressing the button or the lever or, or you know, whatever, but it's even the regime can't deny it at this point. And, oh, they, they, and they, they haven't. They're, they're actually accepting. In oh, fact, yeah, you know, we made well, some mistakes. I, I mean, so it's, um, so, so it's not like this is like, uh, oh, what a terrible accident mm-hmm. that happened in Iran with the poisoning of a, a thousand school children, yeah. right? And there's more from the uh, deputy uh, education minister. I mean, I, I know I quoted him a couple of days ago, but now he said a couple more things that, again, will continue to anger, I'm sure, me and many other people. Mm. But <clears throat> he's recently said that it's been revealed that the chemical compounds used to poison the students are not war chemicals. So he's defending what's happening. He's saying the poison students don't need aggressive treatment and a large percent of the chemical agents are actually treatable. Wow. So that's great. Yeah. yeah. 
Thanks so much. They're not dying. Daria, you give us your take on this. Um, I can say that I'm, like, I told you, Jean-Jean, that I'm so angry about this. Like, um, like to your point, Pega, anytime that regime does something and we think that, okay, this is the worst thing that they can do, they do something to prove us wrong and like, mm-hmm. okay, there is a new low point for yeah. them. Yeah. And attacking schoolgirls and then, like, one thing that it makes me so angry is that like they keep saying that oh look we don't have any lead on who's doing it and who's behind it bullshit like anyone anyone who's ever been to iran for even one day they know that security in uh school girls it's it's like a prison you cannot go near uh, schools for girls without you know have your proof of identification like what's what do you do in there what's your you know so relationship know so like so yeah. in in all over the country, it's it's a pretty tight security when these these, these schools for girls. Yeah, at least like anything um, that I've been to or anyone like uh, around like in my family, any girls who was in any of those schools is like that. And uh, like for me, like my experiences from like what fifteen years ago, without like security cameras and everything, which I'm pretty sure it's like everywhere right, right. now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have uh, like concert security guards like at the door of the so school. So it's not easy to mess with all that stuff and Mm-mm. not be found out if somebody wants to find you. Not at all. Like if your mom wants to come and pick you up, like they like they have to prove that okay, I'm like wow. like Daria's mom, I'm picking her up. I did not know it was that intense at the at the schools. Is that yeah. your experience, Kenzie? Yeah, it is pretty it is pretty strict as to like who gets to come in and who gets to go out. Usually, you know, over the years, they get to know who your parents are and, you know, they kind of get used to, okay, this person is picking up this kid. But then if someone comes there and is unfamiliar to the people, they usually can't get through without going through certain security checks and talking at least to the people at the school. Yeah. And then, like, there's no way that people, like, randomly come to school, just throw things into the school, poison like students and no one would notice it. Mm-hmm. Well, you're mentioning, you know, a mother picking up their child. I mean, that viral video of the mom going to right. the school after she had found out that her daughter had been poisoned. I mean, for anyone who is unsure of what I'm referring to, there was a viral video that um, showed a woman at the door of a school and she's getting her hair pulled and she's getting almost like pulled in a million different mm-hmm. directions and almost aggressively grabbed by a bunch of guards i guess and i don't know if they're from the school or if they're from the basiege or whatever but um i mean that's a clear indication like there's not not to mention that the regime doesn't seem to have any trouble finding a couple that were dancing in front of the azadi tower for you know at midnight but uh, they can but they can't suddenly Mm -hmm. solve this uh this you know widespread mystery yeah. yeah yeah um so so go ahead, Daria. Do, do, do you have any anything more to add to that, or you? They're also actually saying contradicting things. Like some of them are saying that yeah, there are some uh, radical Islamic groups behind it. Some are saying like the regular thing that they always say, "Dushman," like the enemy is behind it. I'm like, okay, sure. That, exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's what I was just gonna say. I mean, and sorry. She was saying it's they refer to it as "Dushman," which means enemies. And my question is always. Who is Doshman? Oh. Who is Doshman? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because there's this like mystical idea of like these enemies, and I mean, in a situation like this, especially, who who's gonna target? 
I mentioned this on Monday, but you're uh, KNZ. You you were a schoolgirl like these girls, like um, not that long ago in Iran. Yeah. Um, tell me, tell me what you're, how you're processing all of this. I just think it all kind of feeds into the cycle of fear because I do believe that one of the Islamic Republic's biggest weapons is just spreading fear, and what they're doing now in these schools is not only creating another like generation of people being traumatized by what they can do which they have done already to all the older generations that's why we see them being more scared to like come to the streets and protest so they're doing that to the younger generation but they're also kind of targeting their parents at the same time and parents when it comes to the younger generation they're the ones taking care of their kids they're the ones telling their kids Mm -hmm. don't go on the street it's dangerous out there so by doing this, they're kind of m- making sure that these parents are going to stop their kids from doing anything in terms of making this revolution. It's a really good point. It is. It's a really good point because ostensibly this is about we want to stop these terrorist school children, you know. Yeah. But obviously the impact it's going to have is on the parents who are going to double down on you better not go outside, you better not leave the house, you better not, and you're definitely not going to go on that protest in Shiraz on the weekend. Well, we're already seeing a decline in students attending schools since this has been happening. And since the news of it has become more widespread, there's parents who are not allowing their children, and I mean, it's it's girls and boys, by the way, um, to not attend school in fear of them going to school and being poisoned. And um, just to add to what Kanzi just said in terms of the concept of fear and the manipulation of fear with older generations, it's so funny that as soon as you said that, I just think of my mom. And I live in, I've lived in Canada since I was five, um, but I've always been really invested in, in what was going on in Iran, and, I, and I've always had this interest in, in politics and human rights and all these things. So growing up, I used to attend a lot of different protests, and this wasn't common and wasn't widely accepted by my parents especially and my mom especially and her thing was always I'm afraid when you go to these things I'm worried when you go to these things and especially mm-hmm. if it's about Iran what if mm-hmm. you know you know that this fear that's ingrained in my parents for example is exactly what you're referring to it's this tactic that they've used that they've been traumatized by that stretches halfway across the world listen yeah. my family hasn't been able to go back to Iran I mean, you know, I've I've never been able to mm-hmm. go to go to Iran for various reasons, um, mostly politics in the last right. twenty years. Before that, mm-hmm. I'd have to go into Sadboisi and you know that, that type of thing. And my mom still, um, after Monday's show, she was like, um, um, "Do you think it's uh, you know maybe yeah. you shouldn't call the foreign minister a buffoon?" You know, like, <laughs> it's like mom, mom, that ship has sailed. Yeah. I think they're after me already. I'm not sure that. You know, I've, I've done anything more, but you're, yeah, that, that is, I mean, that's the job of parents to yeah. worry about their kids. And so this is probably part of what's going on, mm-hmm. the, the impact. Although, uh, Kanzi, you make a great point that the, you know, since the beginning of this thing in September, the hallmark, like what every person came on, especially in those early months and said was these kids those 15-year-olds in mm-hmm. Iran right now are yeah. braver than we were, right? Yeah. And I felt that. I was like, shit, they're braver than me. I did, mm-hmm. I wouldn't have, I'm not sure I would have done that. Look at them. They mm-hmm. and now the you know, it's like let's go right to the source. Right. Let's actually, you know, scare the fuck out of these kids for the rest of their lives. Mm-hmm. Um, by actually poisoning them to the point where they can't breathe and they're in hospital, you know, doing the famous George Floyd, you yeah. know, I can't breathe. Oh, I, I mean, video. it's so hard.
<laughs> and wipe out another generation. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's this never-ending circle of trauma is what it is. There you go ahead. Yeah, yeah so no, uh, what I was uh, going to say is that, um, so right now there's also a debate that some people are saying that we should stop sending our children to school and some are saying that no, we mm -hmm. should just like go, you know, form human chain around the school to just like protect them, which either of them I don't know which one is right and even possible to do. Uh, but one thing that's very like important is that like because most of the attacks were on school like for girls it's very important to just like make sure that we're not isolating girls because uh, that's gonna be like an, again another thing of all the lists that we like girls um growing up iran uh, we were you know code code we're supposed to do on like for our own protection like you just don't, don't send them to school for your own protection mm -hmm. oh, no mm -hmm. like if you're not gonna send your your children to school let it be just like both boys and girls, not just I girls. I see, right, right. And yeah, like that's I a good point. Yeah, I agree. Well, um, and you know, just to echo what I was saying at the the top of the show in that essay, um, if UNICEF and oh, <laughs> I'm sorry, but I, I mean, if UNICEF and the well, I, you think I mean, I feel like. I'm so tired of writing the same essay and all over again. Like it was six months ago. It was like, where are you, West? You know, if 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 the poisoning, if the deliberate chemical attack on kids, thousands. This isn't kids. this isn't Keon Pierfalak, God rest his soul, mm -hmm. rest in peace, like being hit by a bullet, which was horrible, mm -hmm. right? You know, in crossfire. This is the deliberate chemical attack poisoning of kids if that's not enough to inspire the organizations in the world whose job ostensibly it is mm -hmm. to try and live up to a charter of rights for children that includes a hundred things that they've the lines have been crossed here then nothing is enough like we right. like we can officially i mean this this is why i guess we're we're angry and down this week mm -hmm. Because there was, there was a little, you know, and I, I feel like, you know, it's a push and pull because you don't want to, you, you know, we want to keep people inspired and, and, and happy. And I, and by the way, doing these voices inside of Iran, I know these people are going to, we're about to go to Mashhad, we're about to go to Tabriz, we're going to, they're, they're possibly going to say things about what it's like on the ground there that are not inspiring mm -hmm. because they're not going to tell us there's 100,000 people in the streets. Yeah. And so, you know, it's always like, well, but the reality of this is, there was a big UN Human Rights Council thing that was a big hope of what the walkout campaign didn't happen, didn't work. This stuff is not, you know, the IRGC is still not on the terrorist list in Canada mm -hmm. with this mm -hmm. massive Iranian community here pressuring and a, and a prime minister who's out there, you know, shaking his fist at the Iranian government. Nothing, you know, no, no huge movement yet. I think part of... Um the, the mood this week is also because of what we've been saying, you know, over the last six months, which is the West, quote unquote, has their own agenda at the end of the day. I mean, they yeah. still feel that it's more beneficial for them, whether it be financially or, or whatever, whatever their reasoning is, to still engage the Islamic Republic. Well, that is the reason. And, and, and well, not whatever. Well, I mean, it's... A, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I, I almost hate saying it, but it's the mm. reality, right? And so I think over the course of the last six months, at least at the onset, you know, we had things happen 
so quickly and there were so many things that were inspiring like the rallies and the demonstrations with thousands of and people and it was all new and it was all, it was all new, new and yeah. i think it's easier to to have less hope right now i don't even want to say lose hope but it's easier to have less hope right now than four months ago five months ago that sort of thing and so i think it's warranted that many of us are feeling this way mm. but i don't think we should give up i mean look it, it, you know uh reza pahlavi has been in europe he's been greeted and even accepted in mm-hmm. some institutional bodies like government governmental bodies in mm-hmm. Europe as mm-hmm. a legitimate representative of Iran or opposition right. representative which is pretty huge mm-hmm. Masih Ninja just got named one of the women of the year on Time, Time magazine, magazine yeah. so I mean there are these little I mean they're at the top tier but there's you know little victories in different places for yeah. Iranians who are doing important things and um, you know the folks who are plugging away at that Massa Act in, mm-hmm. in America and there's you know people working I know a lot of Iranian Canadians, you know, starting. Uh, Kenzie, you were talking about something you want to. You, you, you've want to start, or you're, some friends have started. That's a it's a group to help people in Iran. You know, there 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 uh, there's there is there are things going on, stories that are inspiring, um, and we'd be remiss if we just you know, ignore them all. Yeah. But <laughs> but you know, on the balance, we can't we can't sugarcoat. A thousand school kids being and and some of them in critical condition, one of them dying so far. Yeah. yeah. So on that note, uh, the death of Piruz. Oh. Sorry, but I mean, <laughs> do, what, what did we learn from that episode? Do you guys think? Ugh, lack of resources more than anything else. I think one of the biggest things that we saw is Piruz is uh, is the cheetah, the Asiatic cheetah, one of the last of his kind that. Uh, was a symbol of hope for Mm -hmm. Iranians less than a year old got sick and then died and mostly due to the fact that they didn't have the resources to help him I mean I think one of the things I heard or read and I'm I'm not even sure which it was now but um, there wasn't proper equipment when he needed dialysis they didn't have a proper dialysis machine there was some sort of an error in what was injected into him because of a misdiagnosis due to, again, lack of equipment to be able to tell what it is that he actually needed. Um, The lack of support from, you know, organizations that are constantly picked apart by this regime. I mean, environmental um, groups, um, veterinarian offices, things like that, that are subjected to this scrutiny by the regime because of idiocy more than anything else and i mean all of that is what led to this poor animal dying and not only was he the last of his kind and now this this species is no longer i mean it's endangered officially right yeah i think there may be some other i I, I don't know if he was the last of the last of the last of but he was definitely the last of his kind in iran yeah yeah um and so i mean not only that but more importantly i think Again, going back to the reason why the mood, I think especially in in today's round table is the way it is, is because he was such a symbol of hope. Mm -hmm. I mean, like we talked about on Monday, he was part of what brought this community together in the midst of this revolution. Yet another thing that brought this community together in the middle of this revolution. Anybody on peers? Yeah, like um, uh, as Pega was saying, uh, in addition to that, he was the symbol of hope. What I think is that his death is just like the symbol of the whole endangered environment in Iran. And what I was thinking was that, okay, let, let's just think that they are 
they're gonna go today like we went today and they're going what's left of Iran like uh, this is a very like sad thing to say so but you mean look. if the regime falls mm -hmm. there's so much damage that's been done it's so much yeah. and then uh, like I grew up in Esfahan and we all know Zion Derud was just like the symbol of like that city and is no longer like alive at all and a lot of like these things um, some of it may be recoverable but a lot of it yeah. it might not and like damage is done yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, we've heard that repeatedly that like this is the dark side of like we all think that we're going to celebrate while well, we will mm -hmm. celebrate if the, if the regime falls. But but uh, then, you know, the, the cleanup is going to be, yeah, yeah, it's monumentous, uh, momentous, monumental, monumental <laughs> or monumentous. I've just uh, <laughs> developed a new word. Yes. Um, I wanted to mention uh, this is pretty local. Forgive me. Uh, but uh, I wanted to give a shout out to the folks who are who are um, organizing a human chain mm -hmm. in Toronto, or I guess not really in Toronto, just north of Toronto, Richmond Hill, uh, in solidarity with the brave women of Iran. Sunday from 12 to 2 p.m., mm -hmm. 16th Avenue to Major Mac on Yonge Street. Uh, again, if you're listening somewhere else in the world and you're wondering uh, what that is, that's a big street in Toronto. But uh, this human chain, I think, is um, you were just talking about a human chain around the schools uh, in Iran. This is one that um, I think is an inspired idea. So I wanted to give them a shout out. Yeah, I think it'll be nice, especially in light of everything that's happened over the course of this week, to have the community come together again this weekend. Solidarity. And, and maybe get that sense back. Yeah. We are on a mission here at Rook Media. We're going to get to our uh, voices from inside Iran in a moment, but uh, we're coming to you on rookmedia.com, R-O-Q-E, media.com. It's there that you can, you can link to all of our platforms, and we're on this ongoing mission to build a new audiovisual encyclopedia of Iranian diaspora identity. So we are on Spotify, on SoundCloud, on Apple Podcasts, Instagram, CastBox, uh, if you like to see visuals with Rook, you switch over to YouTube. If you like your Rook descriptions and bulletins in English and in Persian, check us out on Telegram. And you can support us by uh, going to our website, rookmedia.com, pressing the support us button. It's it's in red right on the main page there. You can't miss <laughs> it. And um, becoming a Rook member through our Patreon page. Now, what is Patreon? It's a, if you're familiar with podcasts, it's a way that you can support your favorite podcast or um, crowdsource for that podcast or uh, that, that organization uh, through a monthly subscription. So we have a bronze, um, silver, and gold tier. Just go to that page, rookmedia.com, press the support us. And you'll be taken to the there to the to the Patreon, and and depending on which tier you're at, um, we're going to be offering you things, uh, some participation, some extra inside bonuses uh, as part of our Rook community. So I've been doing each show. I do a little shout out to the mm -hmm. our new Patreon members, and so to uh, Ilar Tajeri, who is a new Silver member. Thank you, Ilar, and Hanye. Ariane Poor, who's a new bronze member. Thank you to both of you guys. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you as part of our Rook membership. And um, I'll do more names on the next episode. So again, Patreon at rookmedia.com. And we have a promotion. Yes, March promotion. <laughs> a March promotion. First time we've had a promotion. Uh, so uh, for the month of March, if you become a gold member uh, of our um, uh, of, of, at the Patreon page, um, which I think is... How much is that? 50, 50 bucks a month? Yes. All right. A mere $50. A mere $50. All right. 
Canadian. That's right. So that's really, if you're in you're listing in the States right now, it's, it's, peanuts. it's, bare, it's nothing. <laughs> it's the price of a stick of gum. Uh, we will give you, we've got these new um, uh, Anahita, part of our team, designed this uh, T-shirt that says Free Iran. Uh, and also says something in Persian that I can't read. Iran I'm joking. joking. I am joking. <laughs> <laughs> but the inside joke here is that Pega doesn't get what I'm joking. Here right? I am again trying to actually respond. <laughs> I, I guessed that it said Iran uh, yes. Azad, but I can kind of make out the letters too. So um, so this T-shirt, we will give you one. If you become a, a Patreon member at the at the gold level, we will send you uh, one of our new T-shirts, which um, are really pricey T-shirts. <laughs> they <laughs> cost us quality. a lot to make. They are. Yeah, they are great quality, so we'll get you one of those. Um, thank you, Daria. Thank always you. Always good to see you here and always great to get your perspective. Always Appreciate it. Thank here. you, Pega. Thank you. And thank you, KNZ. Do we have our first person ready? All right. So let us go to our voices inside Iran. And first, we're going to go to Mashad and a young guy in his 20s who is an English teacher and has been active in the anti-regime movement, uh, freedom movement in Iran. So for the purposes of this interview today, he has chosen to use the name Khodanur. Uh, so Khodanur, are you there in Mashhad? Yeah, hello everyone. And uh, I'm really uh, happy to uh, be in this meeting. And uh, I wish all Iranian to be free one day. An interesting name you've chosen, a conspicuous name. Uh, of course, we know Dear Khodanur was one of the young people who's been killed in this uprising. I'm guessing that's that's why you chose this name for today? Um, yes, actually, um, it was uh, all you know that he was in Zahedon and he killed um, really bad. So that night that I just see his picture, the way that he died, um, I really was going to cry. Yeah, yeah. Um, Khodanur, um, you have been active in the demonstrations since the beginning, um, since since the killing of Masa Amini in Mashhad. You've mm -hmm. been active, yes? Uh, yes, actually, from the first days that um, uh, on a travel. And so when we get back to Mashhad, um, we understood that, wow, this was going to be really huge. The revolution is something happening like this. And from that moment, uh, actually, we're a really small group. We start to just walk in the street and just to be with all the people that they're in the street. And, you know, that was that days were really awful it was really frightening because you know the people we cannot call them police but they are uh, in uniforms yeah that uh, it is like they're police and they just um how can i say they use bottom to just frighten the people they use gas tearing and all the thing was and actually, it is really frightening right now. Well, I was going to ask you because, you know, you being in Mashhad, I mean, it has, it's the second largest city in Iran, of course. It's a very, very big city. But it has not been one of the main centers of demonstrations, even though there have been big demonstrations in Mashhad. Um, it is a place where the crackdown was severe. 
Um, it is a religious city, of course, as well. And we even have a couple of, uh, we have lots of friends in Mashhad. We've talked to a couple of people in this series who have been inside Mashhad. We have a couple of Mashhadi people on our team here. So I know that it's not easy to be a demonstrator in Mashhad. It, it can be scary stuff. What would you say the atmosphere is like in Mashhad these days? You know, the atmosphere is really, I don't know, different here. Uh, people are living like like normal. That it, nothing is happening here. And that's really awful, you know. The people just having their own life, but they're quiet. Also, um, they're, they're not happy with the situation. But nobody comes out. And if we want to go out... Um, you know, our parents really, they're really, how can I say, they're really scared that what's going to happen after two hours. My mom always called me when I was out those days. Um, I'm assuming that you're saying when people don't go out of their houses, they're afraid, etc., you're, you're, and you say things are normal kind of in Mashhad. You don't mean that you you believe that all of these people support the regime do you of course they're not supporting the regime you know um, i remember the day that uh, i was in ahmedabad street we were walking in the street we were just uh, we were just a group of people i don't know maybe 50 people we were walking and uh, all the cars that they were out they say that's great go ahead i don't know you're brave but nobody comes out we feel that they they don't like this regime even the people who are religious nowadays when we speak with them uh, they say that they are going to lose their belief even to uh, to islam mm. and we hear this um do you personally do, do you personally know anyone or encounter everyone anyone in your daily life who supports the regime uh, I don't, I don't, I don't think anybody near me is like this. I don't, if I look at the people around myself, nobody's like this. If they were, uh, before Shahri Vat, um, there were, I can say, two or three people that I didn't know that they support the regime. If they were in the circle of my life, now they're not. Mm. Okay, so you do know a few people, but you but you, they're not obviously in your circle. It's so interesting and important for us to hear this from inside Iran because, you know, we we assume that there isn't a lot of support. And there was a survey that came out, uh, you know, two or three weeks ago, and it's really hard to tell whether this kind of these surveys, these studies, these polls are accurate. That said, that the support for the regime inside Iran was as low as 15%. Now, when we did this Voices from Iran episode last week, I asked a, a young guy like yourself, in he's in Rasht, about whether he believes that 15% number is accurate. He said, no, it's not. It's actually much lower than that. He believes it's like 5 or 6%. What would you say sitting there in Mashhad? Of course, of course. You know, even um, last week, I had uh, a kind of uh, memory that uh, I was um, talking with someone who was police. And he said that these people and who are supporting the regime, they are like a Telati person. And 
even the police said even we are we are uh, someone who we don't like this regime even just we can say there are two or three person maybe that's the correct uh, that would be the correct person that supporting the regime so uh, this is an interesting dynamic you've got a country you're in, you're in a huge city in Mashhad who you say very clearly doesn't support this regime. We believe that. We see the, the will of the people. And yet you've got a dynamic where people are afraid to come out in the streets and we're, we're, we're worried that we're returning to the same state of the last 44 years where, or at least certain, certainly in the last few de- couple of decades where people want change but it's too hard to accomplish. How do you today, these days, express your solidarity or participate in this uprising if you're not going out in the streets the, the only thing that we can do is just to um, talk with each other talk to the people that near us mm. or even in the street. Uh, that is the best way that we can in Mashhad we can do it to check our ideas you you must be aware of the demonstrations that happen, continue to happen in other parts of Iran. Obviously, in in places like mm-hmm. Kurdistan, in places like Zahedan, uh, do you get um, energy from that? Does that give you hope? Of course. These days, I feel I don't know, but I'm sometimes a little hopeless. But you know, sometimes I feel that okay, all day, all these years is passing my young age my young years that even the people that who are we are the same age we're just losing our um, age mm. and we're not leaving you know we're not living here we're just breathing wow that's a that's quite an image where you're losing you're losing your years what what i mean it's 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 totally understandable that you're saying that can you draw a picture for me of what you feel like you you would be doing that you cannot be doing right now inside iran even as a as a man even as a male uh, let alone the way women and females are treated i think um, i want to say just something to you that you know how hopeless we are we, we just wanted a, a very simple living that the, the money that we earn and the money that we we pay for cost of living is not equal and that is what happening here for all the people that are uh, 20 to 30 or even 40 years old if you ask them they just want a simple life that this regime cannot bring it and we will hmm. uh, we will make it to happen we should make it to happen hold on what what do you make of all the activity outside of iran to try to bring attention the the de facto sort of opposition leaders who make these speeches the giant rallies we have um does that affect you do you like it or does it give you hope do you do you want it to be different somehow of course of course the people that who are acting outside of Iran is our voice right now, and that is the best hope that we have. It makes a difference to you, huh? When you see demonstrations in Toronto, you care about that? Of course, of course. One of my friends is in Toronto, and when I see that uh, he's, uh, he's outside and 
is demonstrating. So that was re- that's really a big hope for me. Me, my, I myself. Mm. That's a really big hope. I wish one day we ha- would come and we just have a normal life. Just a normal life, you know? It's nothing so big. Can I ask you, you're, you're in your 20s, so you wouldn't have been... You're, you're not that far removed from being a student, a high school student, or even a primary school student yourself. Um, you've obviously, I'm sure, heard about the news of these horrific poisonings of um, children, of schoolgirls, um, that have happened in a number of cities now. What what do you know about it, and what is your thoughts on it? I heard that these people who are doing this to a school are radical people, and uh, I, I heard the news that one of these men said that they they don't want girls to study to um, to study in school and that is why they're doing it i don't know why they're doing with kids they're just students how how can you do them with the with these school girl that's really frightening do you are you surprised? I mean, I, it's 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 horrific. But are you surprised by what the knowing this what this regime has done? I don't know what are they doing, Mister. I'm really shocked. No idea about that. No idea what. Why are they doing it? You know, these days I'm feeling uh, I'm feeling really bad. So uh, two months ago, I really uh, followed the news, every news that that was happening. On my Instagram, I was following them, but these days, I'm really hopeless, and I don't open my Instagram in order not to hear these bad news that's happening for me, for all the people in Iran. I'm so sorry to hear that. Um, that and and honestly, I don't, I don't blame you. It's not been a good week. The the Iranian, the Islamic Republic foreign minister getting a platform at the United Nations, the death of Piruz, the poisoning of schoolgirls. It's not, it's not, um, it's, it's not been a good week. These days are going to the last days of a year. And I really wish that someday, the next year, all this news going to be over and we will have a normal life. Yeah, we're only a couple of weeks away or, or so from Noruz. Will you celebrate Noruz this year or do you feel too bad? How can I do it, man? No energy for, for me and the people around me. If you, if I ask, today I asked some of my colleagues, how do you feel? And they, they say that they, they are not feeling okay to have so, any celebration. Uh, for example, two years ago, one year ago, these days were the best days because we were shopping, uh, we were just cleaning our house, but we don't have any energy to do it. We're not happy. We, we don't feel Nuru's right now. Khodanur, I, I thank you so much for taking the time today. Your insights and your honesty are really important to us to get that perspective from inside Iran. I hope you take care of yourself and I hope things change for all of us so that you don't feel so hopeless in the coming days, weeks, and months ahead. I hope so. It's going to be happen very soon and uh, we really miss the people who were around us, but they're not around us anymore. 
خدافس خدافس It is nice for you to do a really slow fade so you, and underneath the last 20 seconds of the interview you can do it and bring it home. But like very low and then yeah. This is Rook, episode 243, Poison Attacks. Hey, UNICEF in the West. Anything? I'm Gian Gomeshi. You're listening to us at rookmedia.com. Next, I want to go to a law graduate uh, also in Mashhad. We're going to go back to Mashhad here. She has been active in the protests and on social media in the last six months. For the sake of this interview, we will call her Andy Sheh. So right now, Andy Sheh is joining us from Mashhad. Hello. Salam, Anja. Merci. Thank you so much for doing this. Uh, uh, I know that you may answer some of these questions in in Persian. That's okay. Hachi rahatare. Let me. Okay, okay. Let me ask you this first. I know you've been very active in the demonstrations um, in Mashhad, or at least you were early on. And at some point, the the Ministry of Information was was warning you, was asking questions. Can you tell us what happened? به من که حالا من با هم تماس گرفتن برای اینستاگرام هم و اینا اصلا من خواستم من خودم فکر کردم به خاطر تظاهرات در صورتی که سپرایز شدم و وقتی رفتم اونجا فهمیدم که به خاطر فعالیتم توی شبکه اجتماعی و اینستاگرام هم بوده و اصلا هیچ ربطی نداشته به این تظاهراتی که حالا ما میرفتیم موقع اتصابات و خیابون میرفتیم استوری میذاشتیم و اینا به خاطر همین استوریا و پعالیت هم تو فعالیت مجازی بود نه صرف هم به خاطر این که رفته بودم توی خیابون خب چی گفتن به شما؟ چیزایی که ما نمیدونم شهید دادیم اینا رو باور نکنید نالکی همش نمیدونم شما چرا داریم با این خارجی ها سعودی ها آمریکا دست به دستشون میدین نمیدونم دیگه تو زمینه اینا داریم بازی میکنین و سر کنین کار رو نکنید برای خودتون بدتر میشه اینجوری اگه بکنید دفعه دیگه این الان صحبت دوستان است و اینا ولی دفعه بعد از این خبرها نیست و یکم رو سرسوندن و که دیگه از این کار نکن در شبکه اجتماعی اینستاگرام و حالا هر جا تلگرام و واتساپ و اینا جان کجا پیدا کردن شما رو یعنی تلفن کردن یا اومدن باورت میشه من هنوز که هنوز نمیدونم چه جوری واقعا خودم هم نمیدونم بر خودم هم سآله تماس که گرفتن کجا بود تلفن کردن نو کالر آیدی آه همینطوری یه روزی یه کسی تلفن کرد گفت I'm from the government and we're gonna talk to you همینطوری بله ترسیدی؟ خیلی زیاد مگه میشه آدم نترسید خیلی ترسیدم هم خودم هم خانواده هم هم دوستم یعنی اینقدر 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 
یعنی وایسا دیگه بهم گفتن که فلان روز فلان ساعت بیا مثلا فردا بعد از ظهر بیا به این آدرس من اولش گفتم نه خب نمیام و اینا و خب وقتی که مشخص شدم کامل دادن آدرس خونمونو ریز و درشت زندگیمو گفتن من دیگه واقعا چاره نداشتم ترسیده بودم فکرم وقتی که برم بهتره از چند نفرم پرسیدم گفتم یعنی اگه نرم فکر میکنن که واقعا این کار بدتر و بزرگتری کردم و اینکه خوش تلفنم به من نگفتن که برای فعالیت توی اینستاگرام بوده فقط گفتم بیا کارت داریم خب حالا چی شد وقتی که رفتی؟ وقتی که رفتم نصیحت و پند و موعظه و یکم حالا همین بازخواستم کردن اتفاق خاصی بگم خدا رو شو که چی بر من نیفتاد تعهد گرفتن و چند تا برگه گذاشتن که فعالیت مدردی تو بنویست و چیکار میکردی و دیگه از این کار نکن و ببرخونند ولی خب خیلی استرزا بود و هنوز هم که از ما میترسن فعالیتی بکنن و دیگه نمیکنن اصلا so... So I, I was just talking to someone um, right before you. We were talking to somebody who uh, we were calling, he was calling himself Khodanur to protect his identity. Uh, he's, he's also in Mashhad. I don't understand how from his identity. He said that he was hopeless and he said that everything is normal in the street. That means that people don't go to the streets, they don't go to the دشمن این رژیم هستن ولی نمیرن بیرون خواستم بگم که یعنی داره he's talking about you you're the kind of person who was protesting before and you have been so worn so terrified so scared by these folks that you you, you can't go anymore you don't want to go outside anymore right آره مثلا من قدیما قبل اینکه این تلفن به هم بشه و برم همه جا بدون شال میرفتن ولی بعد از این همیشه یه ترسی با همه که الان میان منو میکنن توی ماشین و میبرن و علا رقم اون میل باطنیم یه شالی دور گردنم میدازم کلاه سرم میکنم و خانوادم هم میترسن یعنی ترسم من بیشتر به خاطر خانوادمه که وقتی من میرم از خونه بیرون التماس میکنن که So how do you how do you feel that you cannot express yourself? You can't go out in the street, and now you're not even can't be active on social media because you're worried about. How does that feel? یعنی همش با خودم میگم که با خودم همش میگم من که شانس آوردم واقعا چون توی همون شبایی که ما میرفتیم بیرون خیلی از آشناهامون رو گرفتن حکم حبس بهشون دادن و با خودم میگم خب ما الان همه رفتیم اونا هم حبس گرفتن چی شد؟ چی شد؟ چی از ما حمایت کرد؟ و الان دیگه خیلی اکتیویتی ندارم حالا اخبار نگاه میکنم اخبار رو چک میکنم ولی واسه خودم بیشتر و واقعا حس بدیه حس واقعا یه خفگی که دارم میگم یعنی حس میکنم که هوا اصلا اینجا کمه واقعا هوا کم میارم 
اینکه نمیتونم راحت خودم باشم اون چیزی که میخوام و شیر کنم یا بنویسم یا بخوام یه چیزی بنویسم یا حتی لایک کنم با ترس و لرزه یعنی حتی از مثلا یه سال پیش بدتره الان به نظرم چون من قدیما هم اکتیو بودم الان روب و وحشتش بیشتر شده اون موقع مثلا من فکر میکنم کسی کار نداشت اونقدر یعنی جدی نمیگرفت ولی الان با این بازداشتی ها و نمیدونم این داستان ها اعدام و اینا همه ترسیدن که نکن سر تو هم میاد تو هم میخوای بری تو زندان تو هم میخوای به تجاوز بشه و این ترس خیلی فراگیرتر شده از یک سال پیش یک سال پیش شاید کسی اصلا خبر نداشت نمیدونست ولی الان خیلی فراگیر شده حداقل تو دوستای خودم هم میبینم که همه میگن نه بابا دیگه تیچی نمیشه ولش کن این همه رفتن مردن که چی ولی من میگم اتفاقا به حرمت اونایی که مردن باید بین خودمون لاغل این آتیش رو زنده نگه داریم به حرمت اون خونایی که ریخته شده و حقشون رو پامال نکنیم من نمیتونم مثلا تو تنهاییم خیلی گریه میکنم و همه دوستان خب میگن تو دیوانه ای دیگه <تصفيق> و چی گریه میکنی چی میخواد بشه عوض نمیشه چیزی نمیشه واو. اونو هم رفتن واو. خب تو خودتو خیلی درگیر کردی تو خیلی درگیر خودتو کردی از زندگی داری خودتو بیندازی و واقعا هم همینطوره من قرصم رو بیشتر مصرف میکنم در طول روز قرص میخورم شبم با قرص میخوابم همین اصلا لحظه این چیزا ذهن من دور نیست Can, can I ask you a question, Andisha? Because uh, I'll ask it in English, but um, if it's uh, if it's difficult at all, let me know. I can speak it. it we'll do it in Persian. You're, as I understand it, you graduated in law, law hundi, right? You, you, you. In, what is it like? What does law? Uh, it's it's a big question. Valley. What does law mean? in Iran, if people are not able to, masalan, go in the street and give their opinion and without being put in prison or maybe even executed or tortured, how do you, how do you feel about law, this subject that you studied, is sitting there in Mashhad? Uh, یه تصور خیلی رویایی از لا و حقوق ذهنم داشتم و همیشه دوست داشتم که از حقوق زن ها دفاع کنم حالا اون موقع عقلم نمیرسید که این ظلم سیستماتیک بر مردم هست ولی وقتی رفتم داخل دانشگاه و یه سری درس ها رو خوندم فهمیدم با استادان بحث میکردم فهمیدم که اصلا این حقوقی که من دارم اینجا میخونم واقعا به هیچ دردی نمیخوره عملا و بیشتر زده شدم از اون درس یعنی دیگه حتی یکی به هم بگه که وکیل میگم نه من اصلا دوست ندارم تو این نظام قضایی کار کنم چون اصلا حس خوبی به من نمیده من برم از چی دفاع کنم مثلا وقتی به چیزی قلبم باور ندارم و مخالف منطقای منه من چطور میتونم برم دفاع کنم از همچین چیزی و بخونم اونا رو باز به یه عده دیگه انتقالشون بدم 
ذات حقوق خیلی چیز خوبیه ولی نه تو ایران It's really sad to hear you say this. I mean, it's not a surprise. یعنی خیلی عجیب نیست ولی خیلی ناراحت میشم you love this subject you want to study it and you you just you don't even believe it in anymore because of the circumstances in that country it's it says a lot um, let me ask you a, a final question before i let you go we hear this horrible news about these poison attacks these chemical attacks on schoolgirls Now a thousand mm-hmm. schoolgirls as of today, they're saying mm-hmm. 50 different schools, different cities in Iran. What, what do you make of this? Tell, tell us your thoughts on this. کلندی هیچ چیزی اینجا منو سپرایز نمیکنه من تعجب نمیکنم از اینکه بچه مدرسه یا بهشون حمله شیمیایی بشه گاز بزنن توی مدرسه هاشون. حتی اگه برن شلیک هم بکنم بهشون دردآور دردناکه ولی هیچ چیزی دیگه توی این کشور و مملکت منو سپرایز نمیکنه فقط خشم من و نفرت منو بیشتر میکنه و با خودم میگم که از اینا اصلا من انتظار... چه انتظاری از اینا داریم همینه همینه که هستن اینا وحشی هم واقعا نظر من اینه و اینکه نمیدونم واقعا اینکه بذاریم بریم بچه ها برن مدرسه مسموم میشن اگه نخوام برن باز میگن که به اون تفکر طالبانی دامن میزنیم که خب بچه ها نرن مدرسه و اونا به خواستشون میرسن و به خاطر اینکه الان خیلی گیجن اصلا نمیدونم چی درسته چی غلطه فقط به کسایی که دختر مدرسه ای دارن دورو برشون میتونم بگم که تو خدا موازه بچه هاتون باشین و اینکه خب پدر مادرم نمیتونم 24 ساعت در در مدرسه واستم اصلا من واسن چیکار بکنم خیلی جالبه من به خودم فکر میکردم موقعی که ما مدرسه میرفتیم همیشه چند تا ماشین پلیس زنده در واسطه بود واسه اینکه حالا ما پسربازی نکنیم و اینا ولی الان اونا کجان الان پلیسا چیکار میکنن فقط به پسربازی ماها کار داشتن دست دست دختره مردم دارن مسموم میشن یکیشون مرده بدحالن کجان Yeah. ولی خب در هر صورت میگم هیچ چیزی دیگه منو سپرایز نمی کنه هیچ چیزی ناراحت میشم ولی سپرایز نه you, من همشه فکر میگونم که یک کسی که بره پروتست بکنه و تظاهرات بره یک کسی هست که امید داره یعنی فکر میکنه که میتونه اتفاقی بشه میتونه چینج بیاره Do you still feel hope that there will be change in Iran anytime soon? الان به زودی نه راستشو بگم شاید قدیما داشتم ولی الان فکر میکنم حداقل دو سه سال دیگه چون که دارم بین این مردم زندگی میکنم و میبینم که واقعا اون امید انگار مرده و کسی دیگه اونقدر تلاشی نمیکنه و فکر میکنم که خیلی باید زمان بیشتری بگذره تا شاید چندین سال آینده این اتفاق بیفته حالا از لحاظ سیاسی و نظامی و ایناشو نمیدونم از لحاظ مردم شناختی و بین دوستای خودم و جامعه که دارم توش زندگی میکنم میگم مردم مهمونیشونو میرن حالا هرکی به وسع خودش ام. یکی اسکی میره یکی خرید میکنه یکی مهمونی آنچنانی میگیره تولد عروسی فکر نمیکنم یعنی واقعا خورده یا نمیشه به مردم گرفت چون که زندگی ادامه داره واقعا It's not anything that I believe anybody listening to this program right now wants to hear 
but I think it's an important, I, I really appreciate your honesty in telling us the way you feel and, and what you believe. Andy Shib, Khili Mushakiram, thank you for this, and I hope we get to speak again. Merci. This is Rook, episode 243. Let's go to Tehran next. And a guy in his 30s who has been very active as a frontline demonstrator in various ways over the last six months. He is a tour guide, and we actually had him on once before. And as we did then for the purposes of this interview and his privacy and safety, we will use the name Bardia for him. Bardia in Tehran, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Nice to talk to you again. Nice to talk to you again. Thanks for doing this. I mean, the last time we spoke, you had uh, an interesting perspective, not just as somebody who's inside Tehran, but as somebody who had been touring the country a little bit. So you had a taste of or an idea of how the demonstrations and the protests were playing out in different parts of of, of the country. Um, tell me what the atmosphere is like these days um, and what you've ob- observed most recently. All right, let you, let me say that the situation here nowadays is like the fire under the ash. So people are shouting, people are angry, people are nervous. I think it needs some small thing to blow that up again. Right. So this is the situation. When I walk into the street on every city, I hear at least one or two person are uh, saying bad word to the government. That's fu- that's really not funny, but that's painful, painfully funny. Mm. Yeah. Where have you been lately that you've observed um, this this type of anger and attitude? Uh, lately, I've been around Khuzestan. Uh, I've been around Qesh. I've been around Tabas. I've been around uh, Isfahan. In these days, I've been in these situations. Bardia, do you see any discernible support for the regime? No, no, really not. I never seen even one person that was. But uh, we should be realistic. The people that I'm connecting with them are the people on the street. Are the people that are living, not the people in a high position that have connection to the government. So. No, no one. We know there's been a lot of anger with this regime for many years now. Um, mm-hmm. Would you say that the atmosphere, even when people are not out on the streets, you know, uh, in demonstrating in the thousands, say they were the way they were in, in September and October, would you say that the atmosphere is different still from what it would have been, say, a year ago or two years ago? Look, atmosphere is completely different. Uh, for example, you know that the Persian cheetah... Piruz. Yeah, Piruz. They start to grow on that, but the government said that we don't have money to invest on this. Uh, suddenly, 
that, that animal got sick. Yes. When he got sick, they brought him to the hospital. And now we, f we understand that we didn't have the dialyze machine for the animal in whole Iran, the rich country of Iran. They said that after the death of this poor animal, poor cheetah, they said that they inject him the wrong drugs. Yeah. So every people, everyone that I know, I never thought that uh, pe people's brain grow this much that everyone got angry about one cheetah. You see, every little thing that happened, yeah. everyone got yeah. a lot angry. That's the situation right now. It's a very profound point, and it's one that... I actually made the same point that you're making on on Monday on the on our show because it's not not only inside Iran. You know, if this if this horrible situation with Piruz had happened last year or five years ago, mm -hmm. we might have heard about it. You know, some people who are really active when it comes to environmental issues or animal issues or something might have said some some things about it. But you wouldn't have it wouldn't have lit up the Iranian diaspora the way it has now. People are clearly conscious and. Angry. I mean, it's interesting. This um, fire underneath the ice, as you put it, is is something that I would characterize uh, is is the case for those of us outside of Iran too. So, is it your sense that uh, do we follow from that that there's going to be some incident, some event, some moment that um, probably a, 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 a horrible one that is going to reignite massive protests again? If you remember the last time we talked, I told you if this protest uh, is not going to be success, the next one will be. Because the anger, the social anger is so high. I never felt anything like that before. The social anger is out of the loop. How, how does it express itself, Bardia? How do you see and feel that anger? I mean, other than the, when you're talking to your friends or on social media, like say you're in Ashmore, you're somewhere and you're, I mean, how, how are you seeing that anger? Look, uh, let me talk to you part by part. For example, around 12 years ago, 15 years ago, people didn't have the courage to say bad word against the Supreme Leader. Right. Nowadays, no one cares about the president. Who's the president? No one cares. Everyone say bad word about the mullahs and about the supreme leader. That's the difference between 15 years. Right. For example, yesterday, I went out in the street and I saw a family is talking with each other so loud and said, and one old man said that, uh, damn all the mullahs. Uh, he used F word. Uh, <laughs> I will not use it. F all the mullahs. Okay, so this is the social anger. Did he say it in English? No, no, no. Oh, the F word you're translating. You're, tra <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you're translating a Persian swear word to an English swear word. I see. Okay. <laughs> he shouted in the middle of the street and everyone smiled at him. That's the good point yeah i mean but at the same time look i was just talking uh uh like a little bit ago we had a uh, a fellow on from mashad um a guy in his 20s who unfortunately in his case is feeling quite hopeless because he says um everybody hates the regime but 
if things are back to quote unquote normal in the sense that people are too afraid to demonstrate, too afraid to go out, too afraid to say much. And so um, he's feeling heartbroken uh, at this point. Um, and I suppose because there isn't a lot more activity that the way there was, say, three or four months ago. Do you feel the same sentiments? Look, uh, we had a gathering with the tour guides around one month ago. I heard this sentence from another tour guide that they were disappointed. And I said that, look, uh, this kind of revolution is kind of tiring. It's not something that happened in one night. Right. Sometimes it's up, sometimes it's down. But the most important thing is that it never goes down. For example, around, around one month ago, there were a protest again, and lots of people came to the street. The most important thing is that it should never be silence. The quantity is not the problem. Quantity is sometimes going to be high, sometimes going to be down. The most important thing is that everyone uh, are ready to act another protest. Hmm. And it's going to be, uh, yeah, exactly. It's going to be long journey. It's going to be tiring. And it's the only way that it can be happen. Let me ask you this. That's such a, that's a great perspective. Uh, let me ask you this. Um, with respect to the activity that, that's happening outside of Iran, because there's a fair bit, unfortunately not necessarily from other countries or other leaders or ambassadors, ambassadors, et cetera, but certainly from the Iranian community around the world, there's a lot of activity mm-hmm. right now. And um, I, I vacillate, Bardia, to be honest, between on the one hand going, all of this that's happening, you know, these demonstrations we go on, say, here in Toronto and these broadcasts I do like like our show and, and Reza Pahlavi and Masian Alinejad and, and Hamid and all these people making speeches. And I, on the one hand, I almost feel like it's play acting. Like it's like we're, we're hoping, we're wanting, but it really doesn't have anything in particular to do with what's going on in Iran, you know, and because this revolution has to, as we all know, happen inside Iran, not from the outside. On the other hand, I see all this activity and I, and it gives me a lot of hope. And I go look at the, the power and the unity and the demonstrations and these great people who are, you know, these de facto opposition leaders who are speaking and who have a platform that they didn't have before. What do you feel inside Iran about all of this activity outside and, and whether it's making a difference for you or not? Of course, when you see, look, the Iranians are that are living abroad are Iranians. And when they have protests and when they show our voice to the world, when I see that this many people are on the street for the protests to support Iranian people, of course it's going to make me happy. Because I see that these kind of people, this much people, are showing themselves that they are against the government. Yes. Always there are pressure against the government. And that's the best thing that can happen. And that's the best thing that can leave this revolution alive. Always they should remember that. The world should remember that. The government should remember that. That they have lots of people against them. They should not be easy. They should not have uh, calm sleep. Nothing. They should always be worried, and that's help. 
that's a part of the uh, journey that we should go. I got you. Do you and your friends and the people you encounter talk about leadership, for example, who's going to be the leader, how that's going to happen, any of that? Uh, there, there were some arguments, yeah, because most of the people said that uh, we are with Reza Pahlavi until the regime changed and the new government come out. But lots of people are arguing, and again, I always talk to them. Uh, this is my belief. Even, even if Reza Pahlavi is lying and he wants to come here and have monarchy, throwing out the Pahlavi out of the country is more easier than throwing at the Mullahs. For one time, we should be united to get the Mullahs out of the countries. Mm. This is the thing that I always said that. In the worst situation, Reza Pahlavi is lying and he wants to start a monarchy. For some people, that wouldn't be the worst situation. They, they actually want a monarchy, monarchy, even though he's saying he doesn't want one. Um, so, But I understand your point that that the, the, right now the priority would be, I mean, the, the response to that, the simple response to that is um, that happened once before where everybody came together and said, we don't want the Shah anymore. And, you know, look where that exactly. ended up, ended, ended up. So people want to kind of have a have an idea of, of what, what comes next. Otherwise, there, there's, there's fear that it can be something worse than this regime. But it doesn't get much worse, it seems, than what's happening right now. And before I let you go, I've got to ask you about this week because, uh, as I've been saying, to, we've been talking about on the on the, the show before you came on here, it's just been a really sad week between this the platform that was given to this foreign minister, this, this guy who... You know, I called him a buffoon, but you know, he's he's doing interviews. He's getting to speak at the UN. He's, and then there's the Peru situation you were talking about. But but probably maybe the worst thing that we've almost ever heard coming out of uh, Iran is the intentional poisoning of schoolgirls, of children, of students. Um, how how are you processing that information, Bardia? What what is does that make any sense to you? Of and and and. What are the conversations you guys are having in Tehran about that? Uh, look, everyone knows that this poisoning, it's a chemical attack. Uh, most of the attacks are to the schools that they had a lot of activities against the government. So this is a chemical attack. They, you should not say that they're poisoned or something and no one knows about that. This is a chemical attack from the Iranian government. That's so obvious to everyone. So they're attacking. They want the, the girls go to go home because our topic sentence for this revolution were women, life, freedom. Yes. Uh, last time I told you, the government are so dumb. They think that if they make the girls go home, this revolution going to be stopped. That much they are dumb. So this is totally clear for everyone that I know. They're doing it in purpose. Their scare tactics have worked for 44 years, right? Scare the shit out of people, and then people don't go in the streets and can't come together to, to topple the regime. That's, their, that's basically their play. That's their blueprint, right? Let me tell right? you something. For example, uh, nowadays, again, robbery has become a lot in Iran. Um, yesterday, I said that, look, the hidden army of Islamic Republic regime already uh, went back home 
because we're not into the street and they came back to their original job. When we had protests, there was no robbery at all. So you can see that they're using the thieves, they're using the bad people to scare the people. But this time right. I saw the previous time people try to be nice with the polices, with the people who come, I, I, call, I call them, who should call that Basiji, people who come to beat the people. Previous times, people were nice, but this time, actually people killed some of them. So it's going to be hmm. more and more violence. Violence is not good, but sometimes it's necessary. You cannot deny it. When someone is, when you have nothing to lose and someone is beating you to death, of course you're going to defend yourself. This is something... Yes. Uh, undeniable and th that's why i said that the governments are dumb they cannot understand such an easy thing that when people have nothing yes. to lose yes. if you beat them they will beat you it's always it's always um informative and helpful and appreciated to get to talk to you you know if i can make an observation uh, maybe a final question to you before i let you go um Maybe I'm remembering incorrectly, but I feel like talking to you this time, three months, say, removed from the last conversation we had, I feel like you're 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 more fed up and more angry in this conversation. Would that be true? Of course. I told you, the social anger is high. I'm part of the social. So, yeah, I'm more angrier, of course. And I'm not also angry about... Iranian governments. I I search about what happened out of the Iran, and I always wondered yes. why, for example, Robert Mali is talking like this. Now I understand Robert Mali's son is work for the company that Trita Parsi, the founder of Nayak, who has the lobby of Islamic regime. Work, uh, Robert Mali's son worked for this person. So they are connected. Yes. For example, I surely, I, sh I surely want some independent uh, uh, organization go and search um, that guy. What was the name of that guy? The European Union. Jess, mm. uh, the uh, 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 um. <laughs> yeah. We yeah, the the head of yeah, the head EU, of the, the head of the EU, Joseph uh, Joseph uh, Sopel or something. Yeah, for example, I strongly recommend some independent organization, Joseph Borrell. Yeah, yeah. Borrell, Borrell. Go and search <laughs> yes. his relative and him, and find lots of cash. The Islamic Republic regime is bribed to anyone, and they don't have any consciousness. That's the problem that we have. We are fighting yes. to the world, yes. as I understand. That that makes me a lot uh, angry you, but, because they are talk. They are like Islamic Republic regime uh, foreign minister. They talk about the human rights, but they okay, think okay. about themselves. That's there are not no difference. So I understand that. And by the way, by the way, you probably heard this when that foreign minister. Uh, spoke at the UN Human Rights Human yeah, Rights human right, Council. Yeah. <laughs> it's called the Human Rights Council this week. 
None of the countries, you know, the only people who walked out, we saw that those videos of people walking out, but they were NGOs. They were not, all of the ambassadors and all of the countries that were, that had agreed to be there stayed there. They stayed and sat and, and most of them applauded at the end too. Um, it's a, it, 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 I found that very dispiriting. It's part of what, why I say this has been a really shitty week. Exactly. Look, uh, there are something is completely nonsense that they called world organization they don't want their their fake world organization change it means that it's always should have war that's the thing that we already know so we should fight to the world that's the problem and because of that it should be long Bar and we should not be tired Bardia, your ins your insights are great um, I look forward to having you back on, hopefully in a in a more um, optimistic Thank moment. You. And actually, I look forward to having you on in the future and able to use your real name. Uh, <laughs> of course, I, I I really I really appreciate you doing this. Thanks again. Thank you. Brother. Thank you that you're having me on your show. Bye bye. Bye bye. So 243, Voices from Inside Iran, part eight of this series we've been doing. Uh, and for our final voice for this, uh, this show, we're going to go to Tabriz now. And a young woman who has a master's in psychology. Her real name is Atiyah. And for the sake of this interview, she has agreed to be called Atiyah. Atiyah in Tabriz, are you there? Yes. Uh, hi, everyone. Uh, I'm so glad to be here with you. Thank you so much for doing this. I, I really appreciate it. From what I understand, you have been pretty active or you were pretty active in demonstrations in Iran over the last six months. Tell me, do you see any signs of of the uprising, of the revolution, of people being against the regime in the streets in Tabriz? Somebody we just had on before you, uh, um, Abadia, who's in Tehran, was saying you don't see as many people in the streets, but you can feel the anger in the air bubbling uh, underneath. Do you feel that in Tabriz right now? Of course, of course. I think this در نظر بگیرید که توی شهرهای بزرگتر و توی شهرهای پیشگام در واقع که به یه ترتیبی شروع شد این ترتیب توی تبریز یکم دیرتر بود یعنی مثلا شاید اعتراضات ماشینی رو توی مثلا تهران و مشهد توی همون روزای اول ما داشتیم اما توی تبریز مثلا توی وسط ها میدیدی که روزای فرخان همه ساعت دوازه شب با ماشین بیرونن در حالی که هیچ وقت اون تایم روز کسی بیرون نبود و حتی به همه میدونستن و حتی نیروهای امنیتی هم میدونستن که مردم برای چی بیرونن و شما میدیدی ساعت یک شب تمام شاهراها پر ماشین پلیس پر گارد و پر ماشین عادیه 
یعنی منتظر یک جرقه بود همه چیز اما خیلی ترس حاکم بود و هست همچنان خب ولی الان چی؟ الان راستش یکم نمیخوام خیلی راز نامودی کنم یعنی به خودم اجازه نمیدم اما الان با اینکه خیلی هاشت نالش رو بکنن یعنی زبانی شد ابراز نارضایتی بکنن ولی عملا اون اکت رو دیگه ندارن حداقل من که از تبریز دارم میام اینو میتونم بگم Yeah, you know, to be honest, I mean, I, I have to tell you what the, the the people who've preceded you, the the guests we've had on so far from inside Iran, it it hasn't been the most uplifting experience. I really appreciate everybody's honesty today, but um, and as I've been saying, it's been a, a, a really sad week in general from the death of Pirouz to the poisoning the chemical attacks on schoolgirls to the foreign minister spouting nonsense in, in the United Nations. It's not been the greatest week, but the people we've spoken to before you have all said that they're particularly feeling um, less hopeful right now than they would have been feeling two or three months ago. It sounds like you feel the same way. Um. یکم شاید اینطوری باشه یعنی پیش خودم در دنیای پدیداری خودم شاید من همچین چیزی احساس بکنم اما مثل چیزی که احساس میکنم عمل نمیکنم که بخوام اینو انتشار بدم یعنی بخوام این حس رو هم به بقیه منتقل کنم سعی کنم از چیزی که دوست دارم حرف بزنم و سعی کنم حداقل توی جامعه کوچیکی اطراف خودم دارم I know, I know, I know. I mean, I feel the same way. I almost feel bad, you know, putting this podcast out there for people to hear that people people are feeling depressed and hopeless. But but it's important to know how you guys are feeling inside Iran, you know, uh, because we. You know, living in Toronto or Los Angeles, we have big demonstrations here. We see the news of mm-hmm. Reza Pahlavi in front of a big crowd in Germany or Masi Al-Najad or Hamid Ismailun, and we think, oh, okay, there's a lot going on and there's a lot of um, excitement and activity. But, uh, you know, I always want to know if that same feeling exists inside Iran as well. The um, اگر این امکان وجود داشت که ما میتونستیم بدون اینکه بترسیم بترسیم اون یک ترس ساده از دستگیر شدن نیست یک یک عالمه پیامد داره بدون این رعب و وحشت اگر امکان همچین حضوری بود مطمئن باشید که همه میومدن میتونم بگم 80 درصد 85 درصد جامعه میومد شاید این اینکه الان یکم خیابون خلوت شده یکم کم رنگ شده به خاطر همه این خونها و بهاهایی که داده شده و شاید خیلی از ماها توی شوک باشیم یعنی من خودم شاید حالا صادقانه میخوام بگم بعد از اینکه اون بچه رو توی ایزه اون اتفاق واسش افتاد من به خودم گفتم که هیچ لیمیتی نداره 
به هیچ کس نمیتونه جلوش بایسه این به بچه هم رحم نمیکنه و اینجوری دست خالی بودن شاید خیلی عاقلانه نباشه من احساس میکنم نیاز به یک یک سری سازمان یافتگی داره چون در مقابل کسی که تمام قواش رو به کار گرفته برای اینکه مقابل بایسته تو نمیتونی بدون یک هماهنگی قوی و بدون یک پشتوانه قوی بیای توی خیابون How do you feel about the news? I mean, this isn't a new thing, the poisoning of schoolgirls. We started hearing about this as far back as November. But this week, now we're hearing about how widespread this is. How does this affect you, hearing this information that, that as you say, that there seems to be no limits to what this this regime will do? And now it's the, the poisoning, the chemical attacks on young people and young girls in school. خب من همیشه سعی می‌کنم که به اولین چیزی که به ذهنم میرسه راجع به هر چیزی خیلی بها ندم یعنی کنم با دید تحلیلی عمیق‌تری بهش بپردازم اما که این مسئله با خودم گفتم اوکی شما اگر میگید که کار ما نیست خب شما چی کاره اید اگر کار شما نیست شما وظیفتون اینه که محافظت کنید بعد این طرف قضیه اینه که خب واقعا نزدیک 600 نفر توی این داستان توی این جنبش در واقع جونشون از دست دادن و حتی یک نفرشون رو به گردن نگرفت چطور میتونه مسئولیتی قبول کنه در قبال این و این یه حس استیصال داره واسه من و یک استیصالی که پر از خشمه و پر از انزجاره و بود استیصالش هم خیلی قویه مخصوصا توی ماه های اخیر که بیشتر از پیش احساس کردم که همینطوری نمیشه یعنی شاید آدمایی که بتونن از منافع شخصیشون بگذرن بتونن یکم وسیعتر ببینن و بتونن همراه بشن شاید هنوز به اون مرحله نرسیدیم که ما اینقدر تنها بودیم چون اگه حرکت بزرگتر بود مثل حرکاتی که شاید توی یه سری از شهرها اتفاق افتاد ولی خب منتشر نشد توی همه جا اتفاق نیفتاد یا مستمر حفظ نشد استریکش که بتونه اون تأثیری که مد نظرمون بود و بذاره این من چون دارم صادقانه صحبت میکنم خیلی خشم منفعلی هست باسه من A final question to you, Atiyah Jan. Uh, you have a master's in psychology, mm-hmm. right? Okay. Okay, yeah, I'm, I'm, this may be a, a, I don't know if this is silly or simplistic of me to ask you, but, but you know, we've had a few psychologists come on the show in the last six months uh, and before, frankly, to talk about the, 
the psychological effects of everything that's going on on the Iranian community, not just inside Iran, but but in in you know all around the world, because all of us are scrolling through our phones every day, looking at these horrific images and children being killed and all of that, and also on the other hand, having this the endorphins, the energy of wanting to believe that change is coming and being hopeful. Um, if I were to ask you very, very plainly, how would you describe the psychological uh, disposition, the psychological mindset of people inside Iran that you know these days? Man, I think, actually, درماندگی آموخته شده است یه کاری که شاید با برنامه خیلی شسته رفته حکومت این کارو کرد یک زهر چشم خیلی عمیقی به همه ما نشون داد و حتی چند نفر رو به جرم های واحی اعدام کرد تا بقیه رو به اندازه کافی بترسونه و الان همه ما توی یه وضعیتی هستیم که میگیم خب حالا که نمیشه پس من حالا که قرار نشه پس من به تنهایی چی کار بکنم و این شاید باعث بشه که این دلیلی باشه برای این خالی بودن عرصه توی این روزا و دیگه اینکه یه جوری همه ما یه جور به یک نوعی پیتیستی شدیم <تصفيق> و من هنوزم با این فشفشه هایی که مثلا میزنن واسه یک مناسبتی حالا یک مناسبت حکومتی من میترسم که این صدای تیراندازیه یا الان کم کم داریم به شهرشم به سوری نزدیک میشیم و تجربه شخصی خود من اینه که من هر صدایی رو که از خیابون میشنوم این دقیقا همون وحشت اون روزها رو واسه من تدایی میکنه و اینو از چند نفر دیگه از دوستان هم حالا به نوعی مشابه همچین چیزی شنیدم It's a crazy thing you know when you talk about feeling when feeling a تنهایی you know it's a crazy thing that there's millions of Iranians inside Iran and around the world who together want um, change but are all feeling alone wondering how to do that at times it's a it's a great paradox it's it's definitely not true that you are alone though you know that there's uh, all of us standing behind you and 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 hoping for you guys inside of Iran that change comes before too long Atiyajun, thank you so much for taking the time and and uh, for the openness and the honesty and for being on our program and even for using your real name I really really appreciate it منم خوشحال شدم که باهاتون صحبت کردم و ببخشید که انگلیسی نیومد. نه، اتس اوکی. خوب. مرسی و خدا. خدا
That's Atia in Tabriz. Thank you to her and all of our voices from inside Iran today and our Rook Roundtable. This is full time for Rook for today. Remember, you can uh, uh, get any information about us or all of our back episodes, all of our uprising episodes, our videos, our Rook moments, everything at rookmedia.com, R-O-Q-E media.com, which is also where you can become a Rook member and a Patreon member. Um, Thanks to the amazing team who put this show together. Uh, Savi Roham, KNZ, Talented Anahita, Parisa, Pega, Meritad, and Shaya. Thank you to all of you out there for supporting us and sharing our content. Uh, please subscribe if you've not done so already. You can find me on Instagram at Gian Gomeshi. And as ever, Mizunbashi. Bashi.